0: Hello, my name is Donnie Smith and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you and enjoy. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. It says, So Ahab sent for all of the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, the false god, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. This is, uh, I want to put a little focus on this uh, particular portion of Scripture Say, say, I, am, say I, alone I alone am left, am left. A, prophet of the Lord. a prophet of the Lord. Yes, I want you to hear that because he is obviously discouraged at this particular time in his relationship with God. And he says, but Baal's prophets are 450 men, therefore let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, and lay it on wood, and, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. This is, he's making an altar. He's about to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Say a sacrifice. sacrifice. And then you call upon the name of your gods, little g, and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And so all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And so they took the bull which was given to them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till evening, or excuse me, noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. And they leaped about the altar, this is a funny image imagery, they leaped about the altar which they had made, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud for he is a god, either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. And so they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out of them. Gross. But when it was midday, and midday had passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, and no one answered, nor did anyone pay attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And so all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now this is key as well. The altar was broken, and Elijah said, excuse me, took the 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built the altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the large altar, enough to hold two sheas of seed, and he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water. If you wanna make a fire, you don't wanna pour wood on the fire. And so he put, put water, excuse me, he put water on the wood and he said, fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time and do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar And he also filled the trench with water, and it came to pass at the time of the offering that the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel, and I am your servant, and all that I have done, I've done at your word. Hear me, O Lord, that these people may know that you are the Lord God. How many know that People need to know that he is the Lord these days. He said, hear me, O Lord, that these people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. Somebody say, he is God. God. You may have your seats. I want to minister a message entitled, Resist the Resistance. We're declaring church, as I said before. We like to repeat. Uh, I like to have you repeat after me. There's some of you who try to fall asleep on me. This is my technique for keeping you awake this morning. I want you to say this. Resist the resistance. I want you to look at someone and tell them that You need to resist the resistance. Now, now why am I, where do I get resist the resistance out of this particular portion of scripture? Well, I kind of had you repeat it a little bit earlier. You can almost hear the discouragement in this prophet Elijah. And he has been standing as a man of God, and he has been contending for a move of God's spirit in the earth in that particular time. Now, his discouragement was rightly so because there was 450 false prophets who worshiped false gods who were, whose gods really were their own belly. They were doing things their way, kind of like where our nation is at right now. Everybody is doing things pretty much their own way. My mom used to say to me, my mom's in the room, she, she, uh, we talked about the school system when I was growing up. It wasn't too long ago. Um, she used to say, you know, we're complaining about where the school system is at and where the nation is at, but the problem is, is they intentionally moved God from it. And so, so what's happening in this picture with Elijah is that the nation is falling apart, not because God doesn't exist, but because people were doing things their way. And what we're seeing in the nations of the world right now is not that God doesn't exist, it's that what God will do oftentimes is when man or woman want to do things their own way, God, because he's a gentleman, he kindly begins to step back and he allows people to reap the results of what they wanted. And so this is, Elijah's at this, this almost like a, a, a crossroad in his life and, and, he, and you hear this discouragement. I he says, I am the only one left. Have you ever felt that, like that in your relationship with God? You're the only one in your family or your extended family who's pursuing the things of God. Some people are wanting to get a shot. Some people not wanting to get a shot. The people who are wanting to get the shot think they're spirit-filled. The ones who don't want to get the shot think they're spirit-filled. Come on, everybody's kind of just, right? And, and he's saying, I am the only one left. There's nobody left, nobody else who's godly, who's living for you, who wants to do things your way. But I, I love this because if you're not careful with discouragement and you stay in discouragement too long, you will end up in defeat. See, we don't talk about this all the time. We want to say God is going to just give you the victory every time. But can I, can I tell you something this morning? That we all play a part in the victory that God wants to give us this morning, And even we're at a pinnacle or we're at a crossroad in our nation and we have a decision to make. Either we turn back to or continue to turn away from. And I got a feeling that there is still a remnant of people in the earth. I'm still believing that there are a couple spirit-filled churches that still wanna see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Do I have any people in the room this morning that still believe that we are on the cusp of the greatest revival historically we have ever seen? And as as I've studied history, and I love history, I absolutely love history. One of my my things I like to do, even last night I was going to bed to the old, um, the historic account of the Azusa Street Revival, and I'm only 36 years old, but I feel like I'm 90 inside. I just there's this attraction to what God did before, and and as I study it all throughout history, from the book of Genesis even to Revelation, what would happen historically is that the world would go through these ups and downs spiritually. They would drift, and then all of a sudden there would be a remnant of people who would rise up and and do this. Uh, It's a curse word. I do apologize. We don't really use this word anymore. They would repent. We even talk like that anymore. People would repent. They would turn from what they were doing. They were turning from their ways and started to do things God's way. And what would happen is what we call revival would break loose. And let me tell you something. Revival is not a Friday and a Saturday night at a church. Real revival will change the moral and spiritual climate of a region. Amen? And so when people would, would turn, revival would hit because God would provide them the spark that they needed. But listen, God only provi- provides the spark. He doesn't continue to cause the fire to keep burning. You know whose part that is? Yours. God will provide the spark. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he did even in the upper room. He provided only a flame upon their heads. Remember what I read in Acts chapter 2? It says that there was a flame over their heads, spiritually speaking. But God didn't keep the fire going. God will get the fire going, but it's up to you to keep it going. It's up to you to maintain your prayer life. It's up to you to maintain the anointing in your life and to protect it by holy living. Oh, he wears ripped jeans and he preaches on holiness. That almost doesn't fit. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Without holiness. You know, I have to be honest with you. As a young man, holiness hurt. It was hard to stop watching certain things. It was hard to stop doing certain things. I don't want to get in too much into uh, theology this morning, but, but the old revivalists believed in sanctification both for the fire of God would fall. What does that mean to live a holy lifestyle? But here's the key. You cannot, and God will not allow you to live a holy life apart from his empowerment because it takes power to live holy. You cannot muster this thing up. It's called the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. It's where he comes in and purifies the believer. Listen, it's not up to you to change your desires, but it is up to you to pray that God will change him. I remember there were so many things I struggled with as a young man, and I finally realized that I cannot live holy apart from the grace of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit empowers the believer. He empowers you to live the life that God has called you to be. Say, he empowers me. This is the kind of grace that the Apostle Paul talked about. Remember, in all of the epistles, again, not to get too theological, but starting in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and so on, there's a man by the name of the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was a murderer of Christians. He murdered Christians for a living until he got knocked off of the, the donkey as he was on his way to go persecute more Christians. And he hears a voice out of the cloud that says, do not kick against the goats." In other words, you're fighting against me. Paul gets converted, he writes two-thirds of the New Testament, and he opens up each of these epistles by saying this, this grace has been given to me. Grace doesn't give you a license to sin, it empowers you not to. It gives you the ability to walk uprightly when you can't do it in your own strength. This is grace. Mercy, on the other hand, is... The allowance of, he has allowed you to do something, you should bear consequences, but mercy allows you to get away with things that you should not have gotten away from. It's the difference. Mercy and grace, and we need both. Say we need both. There's some things I need God to forgive me for, but there's also some things I I need God to give me the grace not to fall into those same old patterns. Come on, say amen, somebody. So, so we're in a day, we're in, in an hour to where we need to stand up and resist this discouragement that is trying to take us down into a deep pit. And this is, I believe, where Elijah was. Now, I want you to think about this with me. He said, I am the only one left, Lord. And when you feel like you're the only one left in life, you no longer want to continue to do right. Come on, let's be honest. Because we, we, I don't know about you, but I get energy and strength when I'm around my team and I get encouragement from being around other people who are living right. But when you're the only one living right, it's hard to live right. Come on. Some of you are thinking, I see your faces. You're thinking about some friendships that you probably should let go of right about now. You're like, man, I should really stop hanging out with this person. I, I really need to cut this relationship loose. Man, I really need to cut this habit off because it's sapping me of my strength. But watch this. If, if some people die there, spiritually speaking, They get caught in discouragement and they withdraw. But I want you to notice that Elijah ends up in this moment on top of Mount Carmel. He mustered up some strength to move forward. And if he had not mustered up some strength or had been given some grace in order to accomplish God's will, listen, he would have fallen into discouragement and he would not have got this amazing victory on this mount. I mean, it was an amazing victory. This lady who wanted to kill him, it doesn't mention Jezebel, but she was a witch. Say she was a witch. She was over these 450 false prophets. And so Elijah mustered up enough strength, girded his loins, like the like Psalm says, what David did. He, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He ends up on top of this mountain and gets the victory. And this is, this, we're going through a season right now where we need to refuse discouragement. Anybody feeling just a tiny bit discouraged in the room about a certain something in your life? About a certain relationship, a certain job that you're at? Listen. It 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 takes a, a, a spiritual determination in yourself to refuse discouragement. Because here's what discouragement will often do. Let me just read this. Watch this. Matthew chapter eleven, verse twelve. And from the time of John the Baptist when he began preaching until now, this is in the New Testament for your for your notes. Until the time that John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of God has been forcibly, has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. Why, why am I saying this? See, a lot of people interpret this scripture like we need to advance the kingdom and take things by force. It's actually not saying that. Have, have anybody heard, has anybody heard that word preached that way? It's actually not what that means. It's saying that the kingdom of God has been advancing but the enemy has been attacking it. Do, do you see that? And, and every believer that's in this room If the the enemy cannot get you to sin against God or you to run with the wrong people, here's what he'll do. He'll get you to to get discouraged. This, This is how the enemy messes with the people of God. When I say saints, we're all saints. Say I'm a saint. This is what the Bible describes you as a saint. If you're a believer in Jesus, believe it or not, even though you sinned last night, the Bible calls you a saint. Some of you are looking like, really? Yeah, the Bible calls you a saint. Because you are not what you do. Did you hear what I said? Most people, don't, see, this is why most people, don't. I, now I know I need to touch on this, just, just a tad bit, just a tad bit. Most people don't understand their identity in Christ. See, I'm still my father's son no matter what I do, right? Did you know you're still Jesus Christ's sons and daughters no matter what you did last night or what you did last week? And this is what, this is, this is the trick of sin, is once you start identifying with what your sin is. You start identifying and you think I'm this way just because I do it. No, this is what will help you out of your sin is realizing I'm not that. I'm not that. Amen? Amen. And so the, the Bible talks about the kingdom of God is advancing, but violent people are attacking it. But it's really talking about the powers of darkness attacking it. And so what I'm seeing globally, I'm talking about in neighborhoods, I'm seeing this in counseling meetings, that, that the enemy is attacking people it may not be able to get them to drink or to fall into habitual sin or even sexual morality, but he's discouraging them, keeping them from advancing in their life. And I'm seeing this blanket of discouragement. And listen, it's happening globally. This is why you're feeling it privately, because it is a spirit of discouragement. Oh, we don't want to talk about spirits in the church. This is a spirit. It's an an attitude of the heart. And I've come to this conclusion that, as I just said just a minute ago, if the powers of darkness cannot get you to sin like the devil, they will try to discourage you because I know plenty of people, and I have to say countless people who love Jesus but are in this season extremely discouraged because they're not seeing what God promised them. And Elijah could have got really discouraged. He says, I'm the only one left. If he would have stayed right there, he would have not got the victory on top of Mount Carmel. And it is critical and pivotal at this point in your life, if you're feeling discouraged right now, to press forward. In spite of how you feel. I I was speaking with someone this past week, Rick. This person is one of my contemporaries. I mean, this person has preached the gospel, gospel campaigns, large meetings, you would know the name. Most of you would know the name if I mentioned this person's name. And this person was on my heart, and so somebody comes to see me and, and told me about how this particular person is extremely discouraged. And no, I didn't develop this sermon because of this specific person because I'm seeing it nationally and also citywide and even in our own personal homes. But this person is not ministering any longer. They still love the Lord. They're not, they haven't fallen into sin. And this is the devil's trap because what he wants you to do in your discouragement is he wants to render you powerless and ineffective. Again, if he can't get you to sin, he'll come at you with discouragement and whisper these words. Tell me if I'm right. God's never gonna do this thing for you. You're never going to fulfill your destiny. You're never going to see this window of opportunity again in your life. You're never, oh, can I make it practical? You're never going to get married. You're always gonna be alone. You're always going to live paycheck to paycheck. Come on, am I talking to anybody? I'm trying to make this practical for you. You're you're never going to progress. And and listen, I I wanna correlate this also with the story of Joseph. If I can can just transfer to Joseph's story. Listen to the story of Joseph. For 13 years, it seemed as if God wasn't working in his life. It almost seemed like that movie, uh, God's Not Dead. It almost seemed like God was dead and not moving. Can I just tell you a little bit about Joseph's story, how it parallels with Elijah? Joseph loved God, and God gives him this dream and says, you're going to lead your siblings and even your own father and mother. You're gonna take care of them one day. He has this dream. He was the kid with the coat of many colors. How many know the story of Joseph? He gets this dream Shortly after that, his brothers betray him, throw him, they beat him up, throw him into a pit, and then a group of Ishmaelite traders come along. He gets sold into slavery. Finally, uh, he seemingly catches a break as he gets to Egypt, has to learn a foreign language. He starts running a man's house called Potiphar, who's, who's like a... Um, He's over a regiment or over soldiers. He starts running his estate. And then he gets lied on by Potiphar's wife and he goes back to prison. And it's still not seeming like God, it still doesn't seem like God's working in his life. It never even says that God gave him a break during these 13 years. But what I love that the Bible doesn't record, it never records him turning his back on God. He stays faithful to God no matter what circumstances are happening in his life. No money. He's in a foreign land. His siblings aren't coming to look for him. Discouragement after discouragement. And then he even, as he goes to prison, he interprets a dream for someone who serves in uh, the king's house. And this would be the pharaoh of that time. He interprets the dream. The guy gets out of prison. The dream comes to pass. And here's all Joseph asks him. Will you remember me when you get out of this situation? And as the guy leaves, not only does the man not remember Joseph to help him get out of jail, but Joseph's, the Bible says that Joseph remained in prison for two more years. So it seems like God is silent. And you have to be careful when God is silent not to get discouraged. Because when he doesn't seem to be moving, I need you to hear me, when he doesn't seem to be moving is when he's doing most of his work. He's working Look at somebody and say, he's working that thing out. Look at somebody else and say that. He's working, he's working that thing out. He, he, I have found this in pivotal times in my own life in certain seasons. I have learned and am still learning that when God is up to something, he doesn't answer my prayers like he did in the previous season. I will pray things and where he would speak to me, he's silent. And this is a good sign because it simply means that God has you where he wants you. You don't have to worry about moving or doing anything different. This is what you need to do. This is what the scripture says. Be still and know that I'm God. I know that's hard for many of us. It's just simply be still, knowing that he's at work, knowing that he has the best interest at heart for you, knowing that he does have a purpose and a plan if you don't faint not. Amen? Amen. Listen to what Psalms 105 says. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Psalms 105, verse 16 through 19 says, Moreover, he called for a famine in the land, and he destroyed all the provision. This is the, this is the psalmist David, King David, writing this. He destroyed all the provision of bread, and he sent a man before them, Joseph. I was talking about Joseph. Say Joseph. Who was a slave, they hurt his feet with fetters, and he was laid in irons until the time, watch this, that his word came to pass. Listen, it says, the word of the Lord tested him. Did you know the word of the Lord will test you? Why does the word of God test you? God will bring you to a place and allow you to go through times. A lot of people say, "Well, the devil tested me. We don't talk about the Lord testing us. The word of the Lord will, there's test over each and every one of us. Did, did you know that? God will test you to see if you qualify for what He wants you to do, wants to do in your life. Did you hear what I said? You will go through seasons of testing to see if you qualify. Or what he wants to do in your life. Why? Because God doesn't want to make a fool of his own name. He wants to see, can you endure hard seasons? Because if you could be faithful with little, you can be made a ruler over much. If you can be trusted with pain, you can certainly be trusted with pleasure. That's right. So God will allow a test. He'll release a test in your life just to see how you react. And God almost examines you during the testing season to see, is he ready is she ready? Are they ready to fulfill the destiny that I've called them to? I've heard it once said, a preacher said this. He said, God will, not, God will not advance you into something whereby your character cannot keep you. He will not allow you to be promoted in certain things if he knows you don't have the integrity to keep you there. Amen. And every child of God will go through a similar test or a time of testing. And unfortunately, for some of you lucky ones, some of those tests last days. Even still, some of you, those tests only last weeks. And some of those tests last months. And for Joseph, that test lasted 13 years. But can I tell you, the longer the tests last, is an indicator of how great the blessing God has for you. It determines the actual, the outcome. I remember for over a decade I remember serving the Lord going through the motions and saying God win God win God win. Let me tell you something when God has you in an incubator and the long, longer that he has you in there the bigger the blessing he has for you on the other side. Number 2. If you really want to resist the resistance, resist discouragement and all the rest. Number 2 is you you have to here's how you resist. Say how do you resist? You close doors. Did you hear what I just said? Again, we don't talk about closing doors in our lives because all of us want to jump, hoop, holler, clap. We want to kick doors down. We want open doors. We don't want closed doors. But can I tell you the way to get through some open doors is by closing some that should be closed. The enemy of your soul, the devil, which the church doesn't talk, I don't. we don't glorify the devil. We don't highlight him. We don't want to do any of that. We don't want to... But we do want to highlight his works in the believer's life. Amen? How many want to walk in freedom? How many want to really walk in the blessings of God in your life? We have to learn to close certain doors. I'm going to say something that might not, it might keep you from coming back to the church. But that's okay. I, I know of people who, who will not, um, how do I say this? they They will not smoke, they won't chew, they won't run with them that do but but they will lie on their taxes. Just look straight ahead. Just look straight, just don't even I'm not looking I won't look at you too long or they will they will lie on their timesheet or they'll lie to a parent or a friend or a spouse and 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 what we don't realize. Is that while, all the while we're wanting God to bless us and we're praying for breakthrough, there are certain doors open in our life that God cannot open because the enemy is accusing you before the courts of the Lord. Oh, can I help you this morning just a little bit? The, the court, in heaven right now, currently, right now, there's seraphim, there's angels, they're all around the throne of God. Worshiping God, there's worship activity happening right now in heaven. But heaven is like, in, as in, book, in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it's described like a courtroom. God is the judge. Say he's the judge. He is the judge. Did you know that Satan used to be his worship angel? Did you know that? It's found in the book of Isaiah. He was dressed with timbrels and harps and jewels. He was the um, angelique of heaven. Angelique is our worship leader. And he fell, he wanted to be like God, wanted to glorify himself above God, so God cast him out of, Satan, uh, out of heaven like lightning. Does everybody know the story? And so what he does now is because he's not going to inherit the blessing that he was once guaranteed, now he doesn't want you and me to inherit it either. He hates you. He doesn't want you walking into the fullness of God. He doesn't want you to walk into the blessing of God. So what he is called in the Bible is the accuser of the brethren. Can I give you just a slice of meat this morning? He's called the accuser. In other words, he looks for doors that are open in your life so he can go to God and say, you can't bless her. Because God, too, he's, yes, he, so he, the, we know the Ten Commandments. We're not necessarily bound by them because Jesus fulfilled the law. We all understand that. But there's still laws in place like reaping and sowing. Whatever a man sows, that man will also reap. So what the enemy of your soul wants you to do is sow lying. He wants you to sow uh, uh, being unintegrous. He wants you to sow deception. He wants you to sow certain seeds so you can continue to reap corrupt crops. And all the while, God still loves you. It's not that God doesn't love you. It's because certain doors are open in your life that should be closed. And God's wanting to open certain doors. And while you're sitting there saying, God, I want you to open this specific door of opportunity for me. But the problem is, is we've sown certain things that we need to uproot, that we need to change in our attitude, in our way of thinking, in our speech, in our conduct. Come on, am I preaching to the right people? Do you really wanna see the blessings of God? We have to learn to close certain doors so that God has the legal right to open certain doors. He looks for opportunity. He wants to bless you. He wants to break the cycles that are in your life, the repetitive negative cycles. And all the while you're sitting there praying, asking him to open doors. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus always makes intercessions for us? That means he's praying for you to do it. Oh, that's better. Uh, That deserves at least one amen. Too much of us want God to do what he's actually calling us to do. I've seen people sick as a dog, pattern after pattern. They've got, they've got sickness in their body. They're always in the hospital. Always. I'm not saying that's always the enemy. It's not always, but there are times when it is. And I have oftentimes found people who are constantly sick. Are you ready for this? There's people in their life that they carry bitterness towards. Did you know even scientifically it's proven that there are chemical toxins released in your body when you harbor unforgiveness towards someone? When you're angry with someone, I am always quick to grab my phone and and apologize to someone. My brother-in-law said something to me the other day. We were here doing a food outreach, and he had waved me away. He did something. He thought my back was turned. And so I went to him, and we talked about it and worked it right out. But in my mind, here's, and this is the enemy is always looking for legal rights in certain places. I know this may seem extreme, but in my heart, you know what I thought? Let it go. But then I knew I would have been plagued with the thought. And eventually, when you get plagued with the thought, you start to get bitter at somebody. So I went over and hugged him and said, you know, I've seen that. He was incredibly embarrassed, but we worked it out and said we both love each other. And he's like, I'll never do that again. And I hugged him and forgave him. We think these are small things, but let me tell you something. Did you know you're not soul, spirit, body? You are spirit, soul, and body. You are not an earthly being having a spiritual one. You're a spiritual being having an earthly experience. And if, and if listen, if you sow to the flesh, the Bible says you'll reap corruption, but if you sow to the spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. So the reason that many of us have been choking and dying is because we've been thinking that we're sowing just regular, you know, principles. I just, I just lied, or I just, I just did this, or I just, deceiving somebody is not a big deal. Being unforgiving and having an unforgiving heart is not a big deal. Not realizing that it's contributing to the quality of your life. And if we want to enhance the quality of our life, what do we do? Walk in truth. Walk in love, abide by God's word. And this is why the, the, the word of God describes Satan as a tempter. It's not just tempting you into lust or tempting you to get more money. It's to tempt you not to abide by God's word. Because when we don't abide by the word of God, it, it, it puts us into a realm where God cannot bless us nor honor us nor or even order our steps. It's quiet in the Presbyterian church this morning. You know, I really love and enjoy. Is everybody enjoying themselves? I'm enjoying myself if you're not. I enjoy uh, get-togethers at my house. Um, I, we often have get-togethers and have the kids come over at the pool um, and People are going to be like, Pastor, I'm not coming over anymore after I say this. No, you have to keep coming because I love get-togethers. I love getting together with everybody, throwing stuff on the grill, throwing the steaks on the grill, and I'm one of those old country boys who love the grill in the water. Do I have any people like that? But when I invite people over, there's one thing I don't like is when everybody leaves the mess that's left. Does somebody know what I'm talking about? You got to clean up the mess. You're like, and you're, you know, everybody goes out of the door, and then you start to look at your house, and you're like, why in the world did I just clean before they came over? No, you're a good oh, yes, My wife was, we were at Best Buy yesterday. She's looking at those things. I'm like, honey, that's four hundred and fifty dollars. She's not thinking that. Way. What are those things called? Those circular things? Shark? What now? It's a robot vacuum. It does all kinds of stuff. It's, uh, I don't... Anyway, one thing I don't enjoy is when people leave. Because then it's only me and her there generally uh, to clean up all the detailed stuff. And, and, and it works likewise like that in the spiritual realm, okay? When you open your door, your life is a door. Say, I'm a door. When you open your life's door to certain things, it produces clutter. And then what you have to do is deal with the consequences of that clutter, And you should open the door to certain things and to certain people, but there are certain people, places, and things you have no business opening your life's door to. Because what happens is then you begin to beg God, why is this happening in my life? And God is saying, son, daughter, why in the world would you open your door to that? Now, here's the good thing about Jesus, and I love this about him, is because when you realize and you realize the clutter and the debris that you've created in your life, Jesus is on the outside of that door with an apron and a mop bucket to help you come clean it. Yeah. 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 Number three. We have to learn. Listen. We have to learn to counterattack. Whenever we're in a season of discouragement, this is how you resist the resistance. Can I talk about this just for a moment? You have to learn to counter attack. There's too many Christians right now, some may you may even be sitting next to one of them, that they allow life to casually happen to them without fighting back. And did you know you can fight without getting in somebody's face? You can fight without saying something negative to somebody or showing or displaying a brash attitude. No, the believer is not to fight physically, but we are to fight spiritually. I want to read this uh, portion of scripture to you, 1 Timothy chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 12, New King James Version. And it starts off by saying this. This is a young pastor, Timothy, who was a protege, actually, of the Apostle Paul. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Somebody say fight. Fight. No, we can't fight physically. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Listen to the tenacity in the introduction of that scripture. Timothy is calling your walk with God a fight. Say it's a fight. In other words, Christianity is not a walk in the park. When you're in a season of discouragement, when you're in a season where you're feeling opposition, it is not the time to roll over and allow life to happen to you. It is a time for warfare. It's time to counterattack. It's time to come on, get up just a little bit earlier before you throw your makeup on, before you throw your clothes on, and do this little four letter word called pray. Nudge somebody a little bit and say, pray. That's right. Pray, prayer is a form of communication with God, and it's also a way that we warfare against the attacks that we're being hit with. And so Christianity is it's not a walk in the park. It is not, it is not just... Uh, it, Gone are the days where we come and just listen to a word on a Sunday morning and go back to our homes and just live our lives. It is time for the body of Christ to come together into warfare. Why do we open up our meetings with prayer and warfare? Why? It's because it's what sets the tone for what happens afterward. Gone are the days where it's just worship, tithe and offering, word, prayer of benediction. See you next Sunday. Have a wonderful day with a big smile. We are in a season where I am seeing such a high level of warfare. We're just going through the religious motions. Oh, no longer going to cut it. Right, James? Hallelujah. We were here on Wednesday night. We were here on Wednesday night and we were ending our prayer time with this song called rattle. Say rattle. And this song, you have to listen to it. It's it's by Elevation. And uh, the song, the whole premise of the song is regarding a man. It's Ezekiel chapter 37. It talks about the valley of dry bones. And he's standing over this valley, and God says, hey, son of man, what do you see? And he says, I see a valley of dry bones. And then God commands him to prophesy to this valley of dry bones. Spiritually speaking, that just represents where the body of Christ is at right now. We're religious. Listen, religion doesn't bring life. Religion brings bondage. Did you hear what I said? But relationship with God brings life. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. There's a huge gulf between religion and relationship with God. Can I just establish that this morning? Does everybody agree? Well, this prophet Ezekiel is standing on this mountain, on this hill, and he begins to prophesy to this dead thing that he's seeing. And, and so this is what God is inviting the body of Christ into right now in this season. He's inviting you to stand up and to look at what's dead in your life, dead in the nation, and not talk about it, but prophesy to it. Do you know what prophecy means? Did you know you don't have to be a prophet in order to prophesy? You know what prophesy means? It doesn't mean hear God's word necessarily, although that is a level. There's different levels of prophecy. But that word actually, prophecy, simply means this, to declare the word of God boldly, and here's the only thing that matters, that you realize you don't speak your word. That doesn't have the power. This has the power. Did you hear what I said? So he literally stands over these dead bones that represent, uh, it represented Israel that was dead spiritually in that time. And he grabbed the word of God and he began to prophesy to it. And he said, dead bones, hear the word of the Lord, live again. You know what some of you need to do, do need to do with your discouraged self, your, you, you, you who are going through this season of warfare, is say not your words but God's word and begin to prophesy to your dead situation and say, dry bones, live again. I don't care if it's a dead marriage. Say, dead marriage. You don't need to say it to your spouse. Go in the closet and say it. You go calling her dead bones. You're gonna be sleeping in the house with the dead bones with the dog. Say to that marriage, dead marriage, live again. If your finances are dead, come on, I'm gonna make it practical. Stand and look at that pocketbook and say, live again. Yes, it has something to do with your obedience. Be obedient, tithe, give your offerings, whatever it is that might be squelching your finances. But I'm telling you, if you're a child of God and you're in this room and you're not seeing God's will come to pass in your life, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody this morning. Stand on the cusp of that mountain. Look at those dead bones and say, live again. If you are depressed this morning, prophesy over yourself. Say, thank you, Lord, I have joy. Let him who is weak say that I am strong. It's called prophecy. Prophecy. Speaking the word of God, if you are sick in your body, you tell every one of those cancer cells to live again. Say, Lord, I thank you that this cancer is not my portion, but I'm a child of God, and healing is bread for the children. If you are struggling in your mind mentally, come on, speak to your mind and declare what the Apostle Paul said. I have the mind of Christ. Do you know how I ended up not being a drug dealer anymore and a street kid? is because I began to prophesy on who I was supposed to be instead of dwell on and shame myself for who I used to be. I began to say, I am a child of God. I am a preacher and a minister of God's word. I'm walking in the fullness of God's blessing. Come on, do I have anybody who still believes that the word of God is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing and dividing even soul and spirit? Not your word, his word. And if there is something in your life that is out of line with his word, speak what it should be. If you are under any satanic attack and you can't sleep and you're dealing with sleep insomnia, declare this scripture, he gives his beloved sleep. Anytime I'm dealing with these struggles, and I go through many of these struggles, that's how I can preach to it, is anytime I'm going through it, I do not tolerate it. I speak to it. Listen to me. If you're listening, say, I'm listening. God's word, and I'm quoting scripture here, okay? Because I'm not a heretic. I'm quoting the scriptures. Because it's not about what I say, it's about what he said. God's word in his mouth is just as powerful as his word in your mouth. Demons do not obey your word. They obey God's word. Circumstances do not obey positive thinking, positive confession. They obey the word of God. Amen. How do we fight back? Say, how do we fight back? Can I keep it simple for you? If you're taking notes, write this down. We fight back, number one, as I just mentioned, reading the word of God. Do you know how many people I've spent time with? They don't know it, but you know, as a pastor, you start to learn things when you spend time with people, like there's certain patterns. And when I have someone who's a strong, I mean, bona fide believer, I know they love Jesus, and this is not a question, but then they begin to tell me, all of their problems that are going on in their life and all the attacks that are going through, and I begin to see their words are not really lining up with words of faith and uh, trust in God, I don't even have to ask them. They may have not drifted from God, but they've drifted from reading his word. And here's what the scripture says. Faith comes, how do you get faith? Come on, ask me. How do you get faith? By what? By reading and hearing the word of God. This is what Hebrews says. So when I'm seeing someone speaking more and more doubt, it's not a sign that they're not a believer. It's a sign that they have drifted from reading and hearing God's word. I I told my wife the other day, I said, just, and I'm not saying this to brag, I have other issues. And it's like, I got to figure out how to get on time to certain things, right? I have other issues. Look at somebody and say, you know, you have issues too. (laughs) Don't say it to the wrong person. I see two husband and wife, they just look down. They just they didn't even look at each other. They're, I'm not going there. I told my wife, I do, fear is not something I, 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 I come across easily. And, and here's the only reason. I don't say that to be boastful, but I've seen how when you read the word of God, when you get it into your heart, when you read it, and you read the accounts of Jesus' healings and his miracles and all the signs and wonders. When I, when, I, when I read the scripture and that gets in my heart, when I see situations that, that look opposite to that, I can't help but think of what God's word says about it. And what that does is it builds and it strengthens my spiritual muscles. So when I see somebody sick, it's hard for me to think that they can't get healed. Have I prayed for many people and them not get healed? Absolutely I've seen enough to see that not everybody's going to get healed, and that's a question that I also will ask God when I get to heaven. But I've also seen too many people get healed to not believe that he can do it. Do you see the balance? So so when you get God's word in your heart and you run into situations that oppose it, because you've read the word, you've got it deep into your spirit, you can't help but have faith in certain situations, in every situation. Say amen. Amen. And also prayer. This is a cuss word in the church. Uh, It is not enough for just the, the minister to pray for you any longer. We are in a day and age where God is calling us into our prayer closet. When I say prayer closet, it doesn't mean you have to pull out your clothes at your house at home and put a little mat down. No, I'm not saying that. Your prayer closet can be your car when you're driving 15 minutes to work in the morning, putting on some worship and praying and starting your day. Did you know that how you pray in the morning will affect the quality of your day throughout the rest of the week? We're talking about giving God 10% of our finances. Listen, we need to give Him our first fruit in our life. I mean, when we wake up, sit with him, speak with him, read the word. I love what Bill Johnson said. He said, who cares that you can't remember what you read this morning? He said, I I don't remember what I had for lunch uh, yesterday, but it still contributed to my nourishment. It doesn't matter if you can't read what you just read. As long as you got your daily dose of the word of God, you are spirit, soul, and body. And there's a reason why the Bible calls this daily bread. It doesn't call it weekly bread. It doesn't call it monthly bread or yearly bread. It's called daily daily bread. That means we should have a bite or two daily. Amen. Come on. Is that too practical for you all? Hallelujah. Thank you, you, Lord. And lastly, and I'll close. I'll close with this one. Um, Stand. I don't mean stand up. I'll ask you to do that in just a minute. There's too many of us as believers when we're going through seasons of opposition that we're sitting, and when we should be standing. If your family's going through something right now or you're facing something specific and you probably all have a vision of that in your mind right now, I want you to get it really quick. I'm gonna give you 10 seconds. If you're facing something, family, finances, certain mental attacks you're going through, could be a job, could be a church issue. Hope it's not at this church. Whatever it might be health issues, and maybe you're not dealing with a specific issue, but maybe it's related to your family. This is how the enemy attacks me now, is through people I love, people that I care for. He hurts them. Yeah, that's what happens as you're, you're minister. You grow and you learn certain techniques on how to warfare, and the enemy has a hard time attacking you in certain areas. Not that he doesn't, but his attacks get weakened. He goes after the people you love. But I want you to get that vision in your mind, whatever that is. And I want to prophetically say to you right now, I want you to hear this as if it were God himself. And I'm not God, but I'm going to stand in his place as a minister of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you this. Stand. Stand. Do not sit and allow the enemy to barrage you with those thoughts, or to cause de- defeating uh, thoughts in your mind and, and just allow him to wreak havoc. Don't, don't just stand there and do nothing. Stand. Can you stand physically? Can you stand? I want to read this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13. And it says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand. This is how you stand, people of God, is by putting on the whole armor of God that you might withstand. Now listen to this, it says it again. That you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. The Bible would not have told you to put on the full armor of God if we were not in a battle. And you are in a battle. Why are you going through what you're going through this morning? And many people have different things that they're going through that wear many different faces. But you're going through that is because you are in the middle of a battle. And it is time to stand as the body of Christ. What do I mean by the body of Christ? It means the church. Some of you are a hand, some of you are a leg, some of you are an arm, some of you are a foot. Some of you are different parts of the body, but we're all the body of Christ, and it's time for the body of Christ to take a stand. No, I don't necessarily just mean stand on your feet, but there's a lot of people who have no problem standing physically in this day and hour, but there are, there are some people who are sitting spiritually. Did you hear what I said? It's easy to stand physically. You can control that, but there are many of you who are, should be standing spiritually for your family and are sitting And it's time for us to stand in the spirit. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.